We're going to mix things up on you a little bit this morning. Is that all right? Yeah? Can we get in the Word first? Allow it to uh, challenge us a little bit, and then when we go into worship and song, I pray that, um, I pray that our focus might be more attentive on uh, who He would have us to be. Let me give you a little review of where we've been. We've been in the book of Ezra for some time now, and uh, we have been tracking through, and we are, we're just about, well, we're more than halfway done because the rest of the book of Ezra is going to go pretty quick. Let me give you a little review here, and Rusty's going to put these up as we go through. Chapter number one, you remember, we talked about God's faithfulness. Through the decree of a foreign pagan king, a polytheistic king, God moved, stirred in his spirit, to issue an edict so that uh, the people of Israel could go back after they had been exiled out of their land for 70 years, their temple destroyed. He says, you can go back and you can rebuild the temple. That was chapter 1, and we examined the faithfulness of God to his people. Chapter 2, you remember, we looked at this list of those of the nation of Israel who returned. And we asked the question, where are the rest? (laughs) Where, Where are those who didn't come back? And we talked about why that might be that the rest of Israel those who had become comfortable in their captivity remained. And then in chapter 3, they begin the work of the temple, but they start where they need to start. They get first things first. And you remember that we saw that sacrifice precedes worship, that the altar were the sacrifices to provide a way for fellowship between God and man. That altar was built first before the temple foundation was even laid. That altar that was supposed to be built outside the temple as you approach God you have to make way by sacrifice and we saw that they were they were orthodox in that they they got first things first chapter four we saw that a temptation arose you remember that the the inhabitants of the land the polytheistic inhabitants of the land tried to work their way into the work of rebuilding the temple and the people of God rightly said listen Uh, We know that you're worshiping our God, but you're not just worshiping our God, and we can't mix all these other religions with our God. And in that way, they they held the line. They drew a line in the sand, if you will, and and they held to the orthodoxy of the nation, the very thing that sent them into captivity earlier. Well, so we saw that in chapter 4 they were tempted to compromise. And then again in chapter 4 we spent more time and we saw that once they drew that line and they put up that block and they said no to the adversaries, there would be partners in ministry, well, the enemy, you remember, just adapted to that, uh, to that roadblock and uh, the temptation changed. The adaption of the enemy is always there, right? We see that in our own lives. And then you remember we took a break because in the beginning of chapter 5, it says that Haggai prophesied because the nation had stalled on rebuilding the temple. There was some, there was some oppression there. There was some, some roadblocks that they had put up in the government level. And uh, the nation had sort of stalled. And they spent time getting their own homes ready. And we looked at the book of Haggai. We took a little bit of break from chapter 5, verse 1, to see what it was that Haggai said that sparked them to actually start rebuilding. And then in chapter 5, of course, they returned to obedience based on the word of Haggai and Zechariah, the prophecies there for the nation to, uh, to get back onto focus, to rebuild the temple. In chapter 5 and 6, we see that they are obedient. They do rebuild the temple. They celebrate the Passover, and they're, they're back on track. That leads us to last week where we took uh, somewhat of a break, and we looked at Daniel. Given the, given the political unrest of our nation, given the unrest across the board of our world, we looked at Daniel and how this guy lived in the midst of shifting sands, how he remained faithful to the king he was under, pagan king, mind you, how he remained faithful to his God above. And we examined the, uh, just the attitude 
that attitude, that extraordinary spirit. In chapter 7, the author of the book, the storyteller of the book of Ezra, steps on the scene. Finally, we get six chapters in, and we finally find something out about the author, the chronicler, the storyteller here. Ezra finally steps on the scene, but only after a 58-year break. For more on that 58-year break, we're not going to go there in this study, but you can go to the book of Esther and see some of the things that were taking place during that break. In chapter 7, Ezra steps on the scene, and he's going to tell you not only who he is, but he's going to tell you what his mission is. And so chapters 1 through 6, he, he records the historical narrative of how the nation got back to Israel and how the temple was rebuilt. Now remember this, we started off this study with really a brief message on why we have historical narratives and biblically how they work. And one of the things we said was that the historical narrators aren't concerned with giving you every historical movement of the story. They chronicle what the Spirit of God leads them to chronicle. And so we get what we get. We get what God needs us to have. And so uh, don't, be, don't be concerned that we have this 58-year gap. The, the author of this story and the divine author of this story, I think, puts that gap even there for a reason. Well, in chapter 7, we finally see Ezra step on the scene. It's, it's Ezra's time to come back to the land. And let's read chapter 7, and then we're going to focus uh, really just on one verse for today. Follow with me here in Ezra chapter 7. Now, after these things, in the region of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, there went up Ezra, son of Sariah, son of Azariah, and son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Meraioth, son of Zariah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, and son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. Now, listen, anytime you go through one of these uh, lists of names, the son of this, the son of that, the son of that, aside from not really being able to pronounce all the names, all right, one of the things you need to do is look for familiar names. And we're going to come back in a week or two and look at some of these familiar names because the author puts these here, and the divine author puts these here for a reason. One of the reasons is to establish the authority of Ezra. And we'll look at that in just a few moments and later in the coming weeks specifically. Verse 6 says this, This Ezra, this Ezra of the lineage that he just exposed, this Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all he requested. That king there is back to verse 1, King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord was, of his God was upon him. Now some of the sons of Israel and some of the priests and some of the Levites and the, and the Levites in my kingdom who are willing to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For as much as you are sent by the king of his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God which is in your hand and to bring the silver and gold which the king and his counselors has freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold which you find in the whole province of Babylon, along with the freewill offering of the people and of the priests who offered willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem. With this money, therefore, you shall diligently buy bulls and rams and lambs with their grain offering and their drink offerings and offer them on the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem." And whatever seems good to you and to your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, well, you may do accordingly to the will of your God. 
Also, the utensils which are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. The rest of the needs for the house of your God, for which you may have occasion to provide, provide for it from the royal treasury. I, even I, King Artaxerxes, have issued a decree to all the treasurers who are in the providence beyond the river, that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, may require of you, it shall be done and done with diligence." even up to a hundred talents of silver, even up to a hundred cores of wheat, even up to a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt, well, as much salt as you need. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with zeal for the house of the God of heaven, so that there will not be wrath against this kingdom and the king and his sons. 24, we also inform you, that it is not allowed to impose tax or tribute or toll on any of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the Nethiim, or servants of this house of God. You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges that they may judge all the people who are in the province beyond the river, even all those who know the laws of your God. And you may teach anyone who is ignorant of them. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king... Let judgment be executed upon him strictly, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord. Now Ezra speaks. The end of the edict is verse 26. Now Ezra is going to worship. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart to adorn the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem and has extended loving kindness to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. Thus I was strengthened according to the hand of the Lord my God upon me. I pray this in Christ's name who is our cornerstone. Amen. Amen. Ezra is an uh, interesting character. He doesn't get a whole lot of, well, he doesn't get a whole lot of press in churches. He doesn't get a whole lot of press in theology. He doesn't get a whole lot of press. We spend... Most of our time on Old Testament figures like David and Moses and even Daniel, like last week. But I want to point out a little bit of the character of Ezra this morning. There's much to be said in this chapter of Ezra 7, and we'll come back uh, in the coming weeks and pick up more details. This morning I want to specifically just point you to who this guy is. Because much like last week, as we examine the life of Daniel, this snapshot in the life of Daniel, we gain some things from these godly men and women who lived in circumstances that were uh, much like ours, although at a different time and place, right? And so this morning, we're going to learn from Ezra. We're going to see some things that Scripture notates about Ezra that we didn't get privileged to in Daniel. I believe they were true of Daniel, but that's not what the Scriptures emphasized as we walked through Daniel 6. Here in Ezra 7, we're going to find out something about Ezra that I think will be a challenge for us. I pray that it's said of me. I pray that it's said of you. Back in Ezra chapter 7, look at verse 6. Let's look a little bit about who this Ezra is. We saw the genealogy there, verses 1 through 5. That is uh, really the authority that he has from God. He is a direct link back to the high priesthood of Aaron. And uh, all of Israel would know that that gives him authority from God. But not just that. Verse 6 is going to say that he has authority from the, from the earthly king that he is under. Verse 6 says this, This Ezra, this Ezra who has authority from God, he went up from Babylon. He was in 
captivity himself. He wasn't part of the original guys who returned. Now, there's some question as to why Ezra didn't come back in the first place. Why didn't Ezra come back with Zerubbabel and help to rebuild the temple upon the Edict of Cyrus? Some say it's because of perhaps his age at the time. Remember, there's a 58-year break between the completion of the temple and now when Ezra comes back from Babylon, from captivity, to Jerusalem. It could be that he was still in training. It could be that he was still young. And it could just be the divine providence of timing in all this. Right? We don't really know why Ezra didn't come back, but we think he comes back at, a, at really the perfect time for God's providential uh, working in the nation of Israel. This Ezra, he came back from Babylon, and he was, it tells us who he is, he was professionally a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. We all know that the law came from God through Moses, and Ezra was a scribe. Now, that's sort of a dual role for Ezra right here, because he wasn't just a scribe as we know it in the New Testament, a scribe of God's law. He was also a scribe in the political back to my homeland. We don't know what prompted him to do this. We find out a little bit later on through Nehemiah. But we know that Ezra at some point went to his king. Remember, his polytheistic king, which could, incidentally, have cost him his life, okay? He could have been seen as unfaithfulness to, his, to his, uh, his earthly king, and he could have been executed right there. But at some point, he goes back and he says, listen, I need to return to my homeland. Uh, my people have gone back. They've rebuilt the temple. He, being a high priest himself in the lineage of Aaron, uh, he realizes his call to the temple and he realizes the need that his people have for him in Jerusalem. And at some point, he goes to his king and he says, I need to go home. Well, his king, verse 6, grants that request. But the, the interesting thing is, at the record of Ezra, he doesn't explain exactly how that request went. He doesn't put any emphasis on his bravery going to the king. What is divinely noted here is why the king granted him everything he asked for. Would you notice at the end of verse 6, he says, because the hand of the Lord, his God, was upon him. So you ask the question, why did he get what he asked for? Why did he get such a highly unlikely request granted? Well, he tells us, because the hand of the Lord, his God, was upon him. This is said of Ezra again. You remember verse 9 and 10. Jump over to verse 9. For on the first of the first month he began to go up from Babylon... And on the first of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. It was a 900-mile trip. took about four months to get there. It was not an easy trip. There was no train. There was no plane or no vehicles. He was hoofing it 900 miles, four months, in dangerous territory, mind you. But he makes it. And he makes it at the end there. It says, because the good hand of his God was upon him. That's the second time in just a few verses that that is said of Ezra. I think it's worth attention. Why was the good hand of his God upon him? And why did, this, why did this hand of God, which was upon him, why did it cause Artaxerxes to say, go back? And in fact, all your requests are granted. Well, verse 10 tells us why. Because we all desire to have this hand of God upon us, right? I mean, we all desire for that to be said of us. But we've got to ask why one more time. You've got you to look back one more time. Why is it that the hand of God was on Ezra? So that this pagan polytheistic king would grant all of his requests. Here's why, verse 10. For, for, and that word for there points you back. Why is it 
that the hand of the Lord was upon him? Well, Ezra, look what it says here. And this is the verse I want us to uh, spend our time on. God. And then I asked, why? Well, because the hand of the Lord was upon him. Why was the hand of his Lord upon him? The answer, verse 10. If you want to dig and you want to dig and you want to go in Scripture and find, all right, what is it that's going to make me successful for the kingdom? What is it that, I, that will make me great in God's eyes? What is it that will cause me or allow me or however you want to frame it or ask it? What is it that will allow me to do great things for his kingdom? Not for yourself, not that so that you would be recognized, but if you have a heart that says, what is it that I need to do or be that God would bless my efforts, that I would be used greatly for his work, for his glory? For Ezra, the answer is right here in verse 10. I think the answer is here in verse 10 for all of us. A great Christian must be made in the Word. A great Christian must be made in the Word. Notice what it says here of Ezra. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. You set your heart on something, it means that you put all stock in it. If I tell my son that we're going uh, camping, he sets his heart on it. We're going camping. You set your heart on something, well, you give it all you have. All your attention, all your affection, all your time, all your energies. It's not a part-time deal. You give it everything you have. Ezra, he set his heart on one thing, studying the law of the Lord. Now, don't let that law of the Lord cause you to think that he was some pharisaical New Testament scribe who took the law to the nth degree and was a legalist. In the Old Testament, the law of the Lord was embraced. It was loved. It was cherished as the thing that would help in all of life. It was practical. It was spiritual. It was, it was the Word of God to His people at the time. Most likely, Ezra had... Uh, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, at least. He may have even had the book of Joshua. Most scholars believe that he wrote First and Second Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah. So he had, he had the word. And he set his heart on it. Where did, Ezra, where did Ezra give his life? Where did he spend his time? Now, don't miss that Ezra was not yet, as this is said about him, he was not yet in the promised land. He was still in exile in a foreign land under a foreign king working for a polytheistic guy. Much like Daniel, I think it could be said that he had an extraordinary spirit in the midst of that oppression. He was faithful where he was. And so listen, he wasn't in the eye. It starts with a guy who sets his heart on the word of God. Everything that we're going to see that happens for the nation of Israel via Ezra all comes back to verse 10. It has to. Without this verse, none of the other things happen. Number one, he sets his heart on the Word. Now, I'm not going to go into this morning uh, what all that means and how actually we do that, etc., because here's what I think. I think we know, for the most part. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know what quiet times are, you know what reading your Bible takes, you know the things that distract us from it, you know all the, you know all the stuff that gets in our way. We could talk about time management, we could talk about all that stuff. This morning, I'm only here to give you a short reminder. You want to be great? You want to be the leader that Ezra was, that Daniel's were, 
that Moseses are. You want to be leaders like that, that do great things for God? I hope you do. I hope you do. Not for your glory, but for His. If you want that, you've got to know it comes back to. And he set his heart to study the law of the Lord. Now that's the start. What gets him from there? What gets him from being a learner to a leader? Well, there's another step that Ezra gives us here. And I don't want us to miss this. Because it's not enough just to gain a bunch of knowledge. Paul will tell us that knowledge just puffs up. And so it wasn't that he became a scholar. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't that he just memorized a bunch of stuff. This, this information was effectual. It, it changed him. You notice what it says here? Between being a learner and a leader, something else happened here. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to, what? Practice it. Some of your translations may say, observe it or obey it. Here's the point. He did what it said. Okay? He did what it said. So as we go and we set our heart on the word of the Lord, we go with a couple different attitudes. Some of us go and we gain a bunch of knowledge and that's it. And we think that that's what it is. The word of the Lord changes. It shapes us. It sharpens us. He didn't just learn it. He practiced it. He, he did it. Now without this step... Without this step, he never reaches. He never reaches the level of leader. He never reaches the level of, and he teaches his statutes and ordinances to Israel. One who leads by teaching truth. That's what a teacher. Verse fourteen. The king tells him this: For as much as you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem, according to the law of your God which is in your hand. Ezra was known to be a guy with his heart set on the law of the Lord to the point that Artaxerxes gave him a blank check. Whatever seems good to you, verse 18, and to your brothers, you do it. Verse 20, the rest of the needs for the house of your God for which you may have occasion to provide, provide for it from the royal treasury. It's on the house. It's on the state. It's on the government. Unlimited. 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat. 100 talents of silver is about 120 ounces. 100 cores of wheat are about 600 bushels. One bath of wine, he gives them 100 baths of wine, one bath is about 6 gallons. I mean, this guy gets, he gets lavished upon. Not only that, verse 24, he says it's tax-free. It's all tax-free. Verse 25, one of my favorite verses in Scripture. Look at how this foreign polytheistic king views Ezra and the law that Ezra lives by. He says, You, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God, which is in your hand. Ezra is seen as a guy who has his heart set on the Lord. Even the king knows it. The guy he works for knows it. Sounds a lot like Daniel. Sounds a lot like Daniel. Well, Ezra goes from a learner to a leader by way of doing. By way of doing. He wasn't just a hearer of the word. He was a doer also. Ezra's Christianity was impressive because it was, it was his life. It wasn't just a part of his life. It was his life. 
He was faithful to the king he was under. More than that, he was faithful to his God. And everybody around him seemed to recognize that. Where did it come from? It came because his heart was set in the word of God. So here's where I want to go with this. Um, If you have any ambition in you at all to be great for the glory of God, you've got to, at some time or another, ask yourself, how do I get there? What's going to get me there? And uh, if you're like me, I always want the cause for the effect, right? I'm always looking for the thing that makes this happen. If this, then this. I want to do great things for the Lord. I want to do great things for His glory. I want to be used for His glory. How do I get there? How do I get to be a Daniel? How do I get to be an Ezra? Well, it's very simple. We set our hearts on His Word. We set our hearts on His Word. And then, you know what? As we're, as we're there, it's got to start to show up in our life. Calling all learners, number one. And number two, for those of you who find it in yourself through the Spirit, I'll come back to that in a moment. For those of you who find it in yourself, this great ambition that you're going to set your heart, your life, your mind, your everything on the, on the Word of God, You've got to know that at some point it's got, it's got to affect you. And here's what this means. It's very simple. God says give, you give. God's word says serve, you serve. God's word says honor those who are in leadership above you, you honor those. God says uh, feed uh, the homeless, you feed the homeless. You, feed the, you just do what God says. All right? I mean, it's not real complicated. We're, we're missing a lot of guys who, who just have a heart, a basic heart that's set on the things of God. And let me just tell you, if you find that in you, if you find that in you, just know that, number two, your life better start to change. And if that's not happening, you're never going to, you're never going to reach, you're never going to reach that third part of being a teacher, a leader, one who would lead into truth that you have grown through yourself. You see, it's got to become obvious in you. Much like it became obvious in Daniel, much like it becomes obvious in Ezra. His boss knew it. His boss knew that there was something about this guy. There was authenticity in this guy. The hand of his God is on him. We don't get all the explanation of of what Artaxerxes saw and what he thought. But can I tell you, in every one of these statements, uh, Ezra must have just been walking around with some scrolls tucked under his arm. I mean, it must have been obvious that this guy loved the Word of God. And I don't know that that can be said about many of us. I don't know that that can be said about enough of us. Let me say that. Oh, that our co-workers, our peers, our family members would say about us, you know what, I don't really get a whole lot of it, but I know one thing. This guy, the hand of his God is on him. We can come back and tell him why. We can come back and tell him the verse 10. There's got to be something about our lives that, that impresses. Can I tell you, it's at this point where it becomes practiced. It's not just information, but it changes. It affects us. When God says, give, we give. When he says, serve, we serve. When he says, go, we go. Some of us are stuck at the beginning, and we need to work there. Some of us are in the midst of, we're, we're on the path to, Lord, shape me, change me. We're, we're in His Word. We're, we're longing for 
his word. It's at his heart to study the law of the Lord. Did you, did you catch that? And I, again, I, I'm the guy who keeps asking the question, but why? But why? But why? King gave him everything he wanted, everything he requested. Great. But why? Because his heart was set on the Lord, the king said. How did he get his heart, or how did the hand of his God, uh, how, did, how did the hand of his God end up on him? Because he set his heart on the Lord. We got to then ask, what was it that caused Ezra to set his heart on the law of the Lord? And, and, and here it is, and we've said this to you guys a, a hundred times, if we've said it once. Um, I'm convinced that Ezra, Ezra recognized the glory of the God he was serving. Ezra had a glimpse at some point of this God. Ezra knew who he was serving. He, his affection for the God of the Word caused him to set his heart on the Word of his God. His affection for the God of the Word caused him to set his heart on the Word of his God. Number two, uh, he had a desire to be used in a greater way. Now, um, ambition in Christianity is downplayed a good bit because we have a lot of people who are ambitious for their own selfish reasons, for their own sake, for their own glory. And so we spend a lot of time fighting this thing of ambition in Christianity. But can I tell you, um, we need a little more of it. We need a little more righteous ambition in the church. We need more men and women to step up and say, I, I have a heart that is, that is calling out to serve this God that I've been so impressed by. And I want to do greater things for his kingdom. I want to be used like Daniel was used. I want to be used like Ezra was used. I want to be used however he wants to use me. And I may not find out in my lifetime exactly how he uses me. But I'm open and I'm available. I'm going to set my heart on his word. I'm going to do my best to do it. And God, I'm free to be yours. We need, some, we need some more church members who have that unction, who have something in them that, that causes them not just to come and sit and do their Sunday duty and go home and you know, go through the motions again until next Sunday. Okay? God is calling for Ezra's. I think his, I think his affection for his God, his ambition for his God's glory, I think that's what caused him to set his heart on the law of the Lord. So here we go. We're going we're gonna to worship. And as we worship, um, this is the time, if years down the road someone writes a narrative of Cornerstone, that this guy, part that it was obvious from all those he was around in the world, if they knew the inside scoop, as Ezra knew the inside scoop in his own life, could they say of us that, you know what? This man, this woman, their heart was set on the Word of God. It, it changed them. It showed up in their life to the point where eventually, you know what? Men and women were just following them. Not that they, not that they stood to be followed, but that they were worth following. So you, you, you pray and you ask the God that we're singing to, the God that we sing these praises to as we go through these next few songs. Is that me? If not, why not? Why not?
Am I not seeing Him clearly for who He is? Or is my ambition for His greater glory in this world, is it lacking in some way? I'm not sure where the gap is for you. I know where the gaps are for me. So in this extended period of worship, would you, uh, would you ask Him through His Spirit to show you these places? Lord, we give You this time. And um, much like Ezra, we want to be we want to be used for your greater glory. Not to our credit, not to our fame. But as we look back one day from heaven and we, and we see how as we see how things on earth unfolded, Lord, for your sake, for your glory, and not to my shame, Lord, I pray that you, you will have found a willing and pure vessel here on earth in me. Lord, show us where the gap is. From learner to leader, show us where the missing pieces are in our life. In Christ's name, Lord, we give you these songs. Amen.